Good morning, church. Oh, man, it's just so wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord with you this morning and to feel affirmed in what um, comes from His Word for us all the way from heaven by His Spirit. And so we're going through Philippians at the moment, if you're joining us for the first time today. And I'd like you to please turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 in your Bibles. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Um, and I've entitled this sermon this morning, Standing Firm Under Trial, Part 2. And it just stands from the Lord that He wants to bring encouragement to us, a bit of sturdying in these times, a sense of lifting our eyes to Jesus. And so let's go from verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Remember, this is Paul writing from a prison cell in Rome to these precious Philippians that um, he actually, he was part of the church planting team that founded the church. And uh, he says, this has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Friends, we've been saying that Paul is a model of a man finishing well. And I want to remind you that your life has a finish line. Christian, we know where this is all going, right? One day we are going to stand before Jesus. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. But there's one thing that's on Paul's mind is what Jesus will say to him when he stands before Jesus. He knows Jesus loves him. He knows he's under the blood of Christ. He knows that his home is in heaven. But there is something more that Paul is looking for on that day, which is Jesus' well done. And finishing well, we know we're going to get to heaven by the blood of Jesus. But friends, how we enter into heaven is now what we have done with that blood of Jesus. And Paul wants to, to live in such a way that when he sees Christ in all of his glory with the naked eye, he senses him by the Spirit helping him. But when he sees Christ by the naked eye, there is one thing Paul wants, and that is Jesus saying, well done, my boy. You ran well. And it won't just be for Paul. It'll be in front of the whole of the human race. And forever, there are more aspects to this doctrine of reward, which you're talking about. But part of it is this honor that comes from Jesus, which will last forever. And Paul's saying, oh, I want it. I want it more than anything. And I want to remind you that Paul is writing from such a tough space, guys. On every side, he is feeling pressure. And uh, what I love about this man, it's really made me see a different side to Paul, is how personal he is in this letter to the people he loves. He's sharing his heart. He's sharing his difficulties. He's showing how he's standing firm. And it's for good reason, because the very people he's writing to, they're going through a very difficult time too, these Philippians. 
It comes through in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, verse 30, uh, 29 to 30. He says, For it has been granted to you, Philippians, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. These guys are in trouble. They're, they're, they're being tested, just like Paul is. And so Paul is sharing everything he can as a good pastor on how to stand well under pressure. And we've been seeing over the last few weeks that uh, Paul just continues to witness about Jesus wherever he's at. He refuses to become introspective around perfectionism or fear of man. He just goes on being faithful with the gospel. He practices unnatural rejoicing. He prioritizes prayer partners. And he trusts in the promised daily supply of the Spirit through those prayers being prayed. But friends, today we're getting to the secret of Paul's life. We're going to a deeper level of seeing how this man was wired in such a way that he had a hope of Christ's well done. Paul had a way of looking about at life that is very different to how you and I do naturally. It informed everything about him. It was his secret. And this way of thinking was the secret to Paul's godliness. And can I just say to you this morning, as I preach this, 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 this letter, I, I blush at how far Paul has gone. But I want it. Paul is saying, how much do you want to know Jesus and walk with him in a way where you can have a sense that you are in step with him and you are, you are in line for his well done? Friends, that is an option for you today as a Christian. And everything he's telling us in this, in this book this morning, it is for you, my friend. It is for me. And although we might feel this morning a gap between what we've experienced in the life of Paul, Paul's saying, I'm here because I know you can get here too in Jesus. And so this morning, guys, the way he's thinking is for every Christian this morning. And it will change your life. It will change your life. And so my opening point this morning is Paul's eternal mindset. I want to explore briefly with you this way of Paul's thinking about everything in his life. And how it gives him such stature under pressure. Such ability to stand and, 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 and to, to, to continue to please the Lord. Well, let's read from verse 19 uh, this morning of our text. It says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, that word, deliverance, is an interesting word. That word is actually in the Greek, soterion, which means salvation. Paul, you could translate it, this will turn out for my salvation. The ESV tends to take a middle ground there. But why would Paul say salvation? Well, because that word has different shades. And scholars are agreed that that word salvation means, in this case, vindication. You know that word? You don't use it very often in your vocab, I bet. But vindication means a clearing of your name when you've been blamed for something. Anybody been accused of something in their life? And you are desperate. You are desperate for somebody to say, I'm sorry I was wrong when I said that to you. You were right. Or, or maybe there, there is something where you've been misunderstood or you've been perceived. Friends, that is exactly what has happened in the life of Paul. If you remember, we've just worked through the last two weeks how there were preachers in Rome piggybacking on Paul's imprisonment and saying, this guy, at last, he's getting what he deserves. This Paul, he's, 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 a, he, he's not the real deal. 
the, the gospel he preaches, they didn't like him. They didn't like his teaching. They, they didn't like what he was doing in the church. They were jealous of his success. The, in, in the very Rome where he was in prison, these men who were meant to be brothers in Christ were talking shockingly about his character. They were using their pulpits to bring his name into shame. And Paul says, I know that this will work out for my salvation, my deliverance, or a better word is saying, my vindication. Because right now his reputation is being slandered by men. But friends, he's waiting for a day when his name is going to be cleared by one person. And that person is Jesus Christ. You see, what we want in our difficulties, particularly if our reputation is being attacked, is we want the people around us to vindicate us. We want God to vindicate us through them right now. But Paul's saying, you know what, guys? It doesn't matter what these people think about me. It doesn't matter what these guys are saying about me. I want vindication, but my vindication must come from one person only. That is Jesus Christ. In Paul's mind, there is only one man and only one opinion that matters in his life. It is Jesus Christ. And you see, that is very powerful because Paul is being driven by one verdict in his life. And he is going to face this emperor very shortly in Rome. He's going to go on trial for the gospel. But he knows that that's not going to be the judgment seat alone that he's going to stand before. There's going to be another judgment seat he's going to stand before, which is much greater. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What Paul is saying here, he's writing to Christians saying, Guys, there's going to come a day where what you did with this gospel and this salvation in your body is going to count before the Lord. And Jesus is going to either say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You're built with precious stone, 1 Corinthians 3, or, or gold or, or silver, these things that can pass through testing fire and get a reward. Or if you build with hay, straw, and stubble, which is using your life for a selfish means, it's not going to get you anywhere. In actual fact, there's a salvation, 1 Corinthians 3 says, which is through fire. And Paul and Paul's saying, Cars, if we see the glory that's awaiting us in Jesus, we won't be so worried about what other people are saying. We will live for that day because what we receive from him on that day, nobody can take away. You, you hear? Nobody will ever be able to take away what Christ says to you. No one will argue with it. Isn't that wonderful? No one will say, oh, no, Jesus wasn't quite right. When Jesus says, this guy did it right, no one else is going to be saying, oh, Jesus, you're wrong. Do you know, and on that day, Paul is saying, he is dreaming about it. He's thinking about it. He's saying, guys, living for that day is changing my life. And you know, this Greek word, uh, you can go to the next slide. This, these words are very beautiful. It's hard to bring out in English. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. That word, eager expectation, was actually invented by Paul. What it means is this, is, 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 is to strain one's neck so as to see an object coming. It's, 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 it's looking with, with your, your, you're straining everything that you have so that you can see someone that you're expecting coming around the corner. Are you with me? I'll give you a little story. When I was in grade three, I still can't believe it actually, out of nowhere, we got to wait outside the PE airport for Queen Elizabeth II to drive past. And our school was just across the road from the airport. Uh, and uh, I remember walking there. And, you know, when you are straining like that, you don't care about anybody else. You'll kick them in the elbow. You'll slap them in the face. You're going to see this person come. And we were straining. And, you know, she really does wave in an awkward way. 
<laughs> you know, she does. And, but, but I tell you what, that was my moment. And, that was my, and I was straining to see this royalty coming. And it did not matter if I was standing on the other person's foot or smacking their out. You, you are, to, to, the, to, the, to the, uh, the exclusion of all else, you want to see this person come. Do you know, this word means intense anticipation. It means Paul is so eager for this day with Jesus that to the exclusion of anybody else ultimately, to what anybody else thought, he was looking for this coming of Christ, whether by death or the second coming. He knew this day was coming and he was straining his life towards it. And, and the second word, hope, Alpeter, is, is, is a beautiful kind of ver, uh, version of hope. They link together. It is a hope that is confident that something will happen. You know, sometimes you can say, well, I hope I get that job. No, no, this kind of hope is, I know I'll get that job. And friends, this is the joy of what Paul had. It wasn't just the fact that he was looking for Christ's coming. He knew this was going to come. He knew it was just a matter of time. And it wasn't that this, this hope is not something negative going, oh, my goodness, I'm so afraid of the standing before Jesus. He couldn't wait for the day. It's this eager anticipation of seeing, I'm going to see the one who bled and died for me and the one I love. It was this eager hope. It was this, this, this certainty and it was this joy in Paul's heart that it was going to come. This is the secret while Paul is looking at his life and saying, Jesus, whatever you lead me into, I'm going to stand. You know why? Because I want you well done. And it's coming. Friends, it's closer than we think. And if we live this way, if we live this way, there are three things Paul points to that will change your life. That's my second point. Three consequences of living with the eternal mindset. The first is this, is you will be careful to keep a clear conscience. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul goes on to say, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Why does Paul say that? Why does he say, I, I will not be at all ashamed? Well, the point is here yeah, that, that, that I will not be. The, the Greek is it's emphatic, saying, in nothing at all, in nothing that I will be ashamed as I walk through this trial. He is determined to do nothing that he will regret one day in eternity. Now, I just want to push pause there for a moment. That is what it means to have a clear conscience before Christ. Is whatever is coming your way, your response is this. Please listen to me carefully. It will change your life. Is to say, I will do nothing in this moment that one day before Jesus I will regret. And that is the essence of Paul's wisdom. Do you want to become a wise person this morning? Do you want to live your life in a way where you look back and you have no regrets? I just have to push pause again. You know, some of the most devastating things that you can experience as a pastor is when you're at a person's sickbed and they are gripped with regrets because they realize they don't get to live this life twice and they can't turn back that clock. And the gift of a clear conscience before Christ is a life that is not ashamed of decisions that when you look back and you say, you know what, I just did not consider Christ. And, and friends, what Paul is saying here, 
He's looking forward. I'll tell you how he processes the past, but he's looking forward. He's saying, guys, I know that this day is coming, and I'm going to be so determined to do whatever I can that when I look back on this season and trial, I'm going to say, there's nothing I regret. There's nothing. That's power. Maybe some of you have gone, well, geez, I've been around long enough <laughs> to struggle with regret. Well, my friends, I'm saying, what is stopping you now from putting right what you know you did wrong? The blood of Jesus is there. The person that you need to say sorry to is still there. What is there in your, in your life right now that is an excuse of not putting right what you know Christ will see anyway on that day? Friends, the way that you even recover from mistakes is to say, what am I going to do here? Am I going to choose the path of saying what will get Christ's thumbs up? Or am I going to hold on to bitterness? Am I going to hold on to pride? Am I going to hold on to selfishness? Am I going to hold on to these things that are not going to be recognized on the day of Jesus but are going to be passing away? Friends, when you start to think about what pleases Christ on that day, you will never be the same again. You know, sometimes in a trial, what you need is to be able to ask the right question. I don't know if you know, if you, if you know what I'm saying. You need to be able to ask the right question. What is going on here? What is being tested? And, and you know, trials are designed to make us blush because it shows us our need for Jesus, but it's also there to grow us. And friends, I want to encourage you this morning in your life right now, to ask the question that will matter more than anything else. In your life, is there anything in your heart or anything in your response to what pressure you are feeling right now that, that you will be ashamed of when you stand before Jesus? And if there is a temptation to go down that path, you drop it right now. And you say to the Lord, I'm choosing to get vindication from you. That day, even now, you can feel it but by the Spirit right now. God, he's well done, but, but, but you decide right now, Lord, I don't want to have anything I'm going to be ashamed of. I don't want to hold on to anything I'm going to be ashamed of before you. You know, that was Paul's prayers for these Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Do you want to know how you're going to be a discerning person in your life? Do you want to know how to know the will of God in your life? Do you want to know how, how, to, how to, to, to get a clarity of mind and a safe space in your heart? It is to ask this question over and over again, saying, is there anything here right now that I'm going to do that I'm going to regret when I stand before Jesus? And my friends, if there is, you drop it and you go for the thing that you know will please Christ. Are you with me this morning? It will set you free. It will set you free. And this kind of hope, it purifies us. 1 John 3, verse 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in Christ, this, this hope of standing before him, this hope of the resurrection, this hope of standing before Jesus, it purifies himself as Christ is pure. You see, the amazing thing is, if you want to look like Jesus, you have to ask what pleases him, right? And then you have to do it. And if you do it, you start to look more and more like the one you love. Can I ask you to do something else this week and do it regularly? Is sit down and ask yourself today, if Christ had to come, would there be anything in my life right now that I'd be ashamed of? 
It's powerful. It just brings your life into such clarity, guys. Suddenly, all the little things that you've been niggling over becomes clarified. You start to see, wow, I've got something to live by. I've got a compass to go by. And the Spirit comes down on that kind of heart, my friend. He has a way of, of directing the heart that desires to please the Lord. But we must take cognizance. Paul says we must take stock of our lives. We must ask ourselves the question, where are we going? Are our lives aligned with that? Are our motivations and actions truly gripped by this eager expectation and hope? And I'll give you one other secret. Do you want to know why Paul is so happy in, 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 the, in the letter of Philippians? Do you want to know? It's because he's got a clear conscience. You know, can I talk from experience? It's a burden to live with a guilty conscience, right? Anybody enjoying life when you have to fight yourself every morning? Anybody enjoying an open walk with God when there's bitterness in your heart? Let me tell you, it is exhausting to resist the will of the Father and this conscience that he's put in by the Holy Spirit. It is a joy. It's a joy to, to know that Christ is coming and nothing in your heart of hearts is accusing you. There's nothing in you that, that, that is revolting against having to be revealed at, this, at the second coming. And friends, that way of living is one of Paul's secrets to his joy. It puts his head down at night on the pillow and it makes him sleep well. He can look at Jesus and say, I'm all yours. When last have you been able to say that? I'm all yours. And you know it. You know it. That's joy, my friend. My second uh, consequence of this glorious eternal mindset is Paul keeps on witnessing to others. Now, that's a strange thing to say. But he, he talks about this. He, he says here, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, that, that word is parousia, which is, a, it is a, not just a courage in your heart, it is a courage to speak with your mouth. It is a boldness to talk about Jesus despite the pressure to keep him quiet. And he, he could feel it coming while he was doing it with the guards that were looking after him. But there was this time with this emperor that's coming up. And he knew he, it was going to be the great moments of his life. The most powerful man in the world was going to put him on trial for what he believed. And he did not want to blow it. He was not going to be silent as to why he was on trial. Do you know why that was? Because Paul saw this trial as an opportunity for the gospel. Let's push pause there for a moment. Do you think Paul would ever get another opportunity to tell the emperor of Rome about Jesus? Just think about that for a moment. Do you ever think Paul's going to have the opportunity to tell this mighty man about this hope of heaven and all of the governmental leaders around this emperor? Paul was going to have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus, and he was not going to back down from fear. You see, the, the mark, the mark, of, of pleasing Jesus and living for that day is to think about in this situation, what would Christ have me do? What would really please him? And he knew. Paul wasn't before the emperor by accident. Do you believe that today? That everything in your life is coming through the hand of God and is so orchestrated to set you up to serve Christ and to extend his kingdom. What Paul sees in this moment is, this is a gift from God. This trial is a gift from God where I can start to tell these people about Jesus and it might be the only time they'll ever get in their entire lives. But I'm going to do it. He is determined to witness to Christ. 
Do you know when you are gripped with eternity, please listen to me carefully here, and the day when you stand before Jesus, the gospel comes to the forefront of your mind. You see, what we tend to do, church, is we tend to divide people in our lives according to who likes us and who doesn't. Am I the only one who does that? We tend to do that. We tend to look at people and situations in our lives as those who are for us and those who are against us. Horses, guys, we need a much higher view of the way God sees the world. And when you think about eternity, what matters is not how much money is in your bank account. You don't get to take any of that with you. By the way, God says you'll have enough. You'll have enough. What matters is, are these people around me going to be there with me? That's the power of the gospel is, is in your life. It's no longer who likes me and who doesn't, who hates me and who doesn't. That's what Paul could say. These guys can say these things about me. It doesn't really matter. What matters on that day is will they be standing in Christ's kingdom or not and knowing that in the space where God has sovereignly put me, a trial is sovereign, my friend. It's not an accident. God is working. He's not silent. He's not, he, he's not being ignorant of what you're going through right now. He has purposed and placed you there for Christ, for Christ. And the joy of this moment is this, is knowing that you are rubbing shoulders with people for the sake of the gospel. You know, what I have discovered in my life is trouble leads you to rub shoulders with people you never would want to. And in that place, when you start to see the world through Jesus' eyes, you see there's only two categories of people, those who are not in Christ yet. And those who are. Can I ask a challenging question I have to ask myself? Are you more interested in what people think about you than where they are with Jesus? That's the difference. And when you see that, yes, there's trouble but that God's heart is to use you to share Christ. That makes all the difference. You know what I see in Paul that I don't see in myself? Is Paul is totally free from self-pity. It's amazing. He has gotten so to the point of this hope of resurrection and the joy, remember, next week we're going to talk about it. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. To die is gain. And Paul has gotten so to this point in his life, he's saying, you know what, Jesus, you're all that matters to me. And if that is true for me, it is for this other person next to me, and this other person next to me, and this other person. And if I can be a servant of God's grace to whoever is around me, let me be used for that purpose, Lord, because this world is passing away. It's passing away. And friends, you can use your trial to be a blessing to somebody else. Can I show you how? I'll give an example. What happened to me after the preach on Sunday last, there's an older sister in Christ, and she came to me after the service. She said, you know what, Matt? That sermon was for me. And, and I said, you know what? I went to her now. I said, sister, you have been such an example to me of all these years being in a difficult marriage. She's been in a difficult marriage. And she said to me, in that moment, it's only by God's grace. 
And in that moment, I want to say to you, you are witnessing about how Jesus is being faithful to you in your trial. And friends, we are to do that. We are to think about the truth of how Christ is sustaining us. I don't know if I'm being, if I'm, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do have to say, you must think about the way you have found Christ's strength in your life and attach it to the gospel. Because when you tell somebody and they, they look at your life and they say, Jesus, man, how are you standing under this? How are, you, how are you doing this? And you say, it's Christ. You are witnessing, my friends. You're pointing to what Jesus is doing in your life. And then you say to them, do you know him, by the way? Do you know this Jesus? I tell you, he, he meets me every day in my need. He shows, and, and friends, we are to talk about these things because they're true. You're not being dishonest. You're not forcing it down their throat. You're just saying, this is how Jesus has met me in my life. Do you know him? Do you know him? Can I tell you about this Jesus? He is the most wonderful person you can possibly meet. Friends, that is being set free from a mindset that is passing away. And being gripped with Christ. And there's one last thing before we head to communion. The third consequence of, of, of being gripped by this standing before Jesus one day and getting his will done is that you become motivated to glorify Jesus in your body. I, I, I'm hoping God gives me help next week, but I have to start this week. Guys, let's look at this beautiful part where Paul says here. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my, say it loudly, in my, whether by life or by death. For Paul, the second he came to Jesus, that he came to faith in Jesus, now as always, that means from the very start, when he met Christ on that Damascus road, friends, the way he viewed his body radically changed, radically changed. And he saw this body as a beautiful vessel for the glory of Christ. Do you this morning? The natural way to view our bodies is to use them for our own pleasure. These hands, these eyes, these ears, these mouth. The natural way that we live our lives is to use our bodies to gratify ourselves. Okay? Where Paul says, guys, this, this body is a gift from God to be used for his glory. This, this body is a vessel. Sure, it might be a jar of clay, but it is a vessel. It is a vessel by which Christ's will can be done on earth. It is a vessel by which the works of the kingdom can move forward. It is a vessel by which we can live for Jesus and his name. It is a vessel by which the kingdom of God becomes tangible on planet earth. This, you see, our, our, our struggle as, as uh, Bible-believing Christians is what we tend to do is we tend to go halfway and we have right doctrine, praise, well, as best as we can, say with, humil with, with humility, right? As best as we can see doctrine, praise. But friends, Paul's saying that's only halfway. Laurie, why don't you come stand here? I'm sorry, I'm going to bring How do you think God's kingdom comes on planet Earth? Will you look at Laurie? Does Laurie have a mouth? You can't see it too well. I mean, it's just full of beards somewhere there. Does Laurie have ears? Does he have hands? Does he have feet? Does he have shoulders? Friends, this is what God has given Laurie 
to glorify His name. And rather than seeing our bodies as the enemy, or seeing our bodies as something we have to fight against, we are to see our bodies as, as vessels, as, as gifts from God to get busy with the things that please Jesus. Mouths to pray, mouths to bring comfort and words of wisdom, ears to listen to heartache and pain, to the voice of the Lord, uh, uh, hands to minister practically to need, feet to go where the gospel needs to go, shoulders to bear the load in the kingdom. These are the ways Christ's love gets manifested to the world around us. Amen? Thank you, Laurie. That was a very tough thing you had to do there, but well done. I close with this. If you are going to be gripped by this eternal mindset, my friend, the big question you're going to ask yourself is, what can I do for Jesus? And he has given you this amazing body. You know, if, if you don't look after it, he struggles to use it. I mean, how many of you can love people with a lack of sleep? Hmm? How many of you feel energetic when your diet is no good? How many of you know the value of exercise? You, you, you are using it for the glory of God. You're not being controlled by it. I wrote here, you work with your body, not for your body. <laughs> There's a difference. But I just have it on my heart to ask you this morning. When last have you done something for Jesus? And for those of you this morning who are saying, you know what? I'm faithfully getting on with what I feel God called me to do. You go for it with the mindset God is going to honor it. You know, we go through these seasons of, of discouragement and encouragement and if you are doing, please listen to this, if you are doing what God has told you to do, well done. But you must ask yourself the question, are you doing something for the Lord? Each of you has a ministry. Each of you has something that Jesus wants to do in and through. It will be entirely unique, just like your fingerprint just like your body. But friends, today, the right response to an eternal mindset is to be busy with what pleases Jesus. Amen? You know what I love about Jesus? Another question. Where do you think Paul got his view of his body from? From the Savior who gave his body for you. You know what I love about Jesus? He doesn't say, oh, well, I'll just feel bad for you from heaven. He doesn't. He doesn't say, oh, well, I'll pray for you. He comes in his body, and he offers up his body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Father to purchase what we enjoy today. So Paul goes, my right response is, Lord, you've loved me with your body. I want to love you with mine. I don't want to give myself to anything that you look upon and say, oh, dear. Don't do that. And friends, that's the heart of communion today. What does the bread symbolize this morning? Here's his body.
And what does the cup represent this morning? The blood that flowed from his body for you. And he said on that night, he took the bread and he broke. He said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is the, the, the blood of the new covenant shed for you. This means no matter where you are today, Christian, you are qualified to follow Christ. The blood of Jesus always speaks for you. And it does not matter where you have been today or how you feel. This is the proof that Jesus is still willing to work in you and through you till the day you die. He bought you with his body and his blood. Anybody got a guilty conscience? Here is your forgiveness. It's beautiful. You know, I watched a movie last night. It, uh, it was quite hectic, but it, it, was, it had this picture of a guy carrying his penance for killing his brother. He carried this enormous bundle up these waterfalls. And I just thought, praise God, we can live with the blood that can sprinkle our consciences today. Christ is for you, and he doesn't want you to forget it. The joy of Jesus is your strength. So what I want you to do is, I want you to come forward. Can I get the service comes along? I want you to come forward, and I want you to do something as you take the bread and the cup. Now, this is for those who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't hold with your hands what is not true in your heart. Okay? And I say it again. You don't take this if Christ is not real for you in your heart yet. Don't, don't take it yet. Love to pray for you afterwards. But you hold this with your hands because you hold it in your heart. Okay? And I want you to sit down after you've taken the bread and the cup, and I want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, is there anything in my life right now that I might be ashamed of on the day when I stand before you? I'm coming with an open book. You speak to me. I want to please you. And then what you do is, before you drink and eat, you say to yourself, and you say to the Lord, Father, would you sprinkle me clean by your blood? And if it's something that you've done, you just put right before God. Even now, you, if you're someone you've got to go speak to, after communion, you go do it. But you, you stop and you stay, and you say, Lord, today, this is the proof that I can live for you here with this, 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 this bread and cup. You say, Lord, as I drink this, I'm leaning into your qualification for me to run. That you're for me. That you're going to help me. You say those things to the Lord. That you're going to give me what I need to please you. Here is proof. Amen. So come forward. Hold into the bread and the cup. Jesus, we are grateful this morning that this is a moment where we get to see again where all things are going. They're flowing towards you, Jesus. And one day, as the same book of Philippians tells us, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And this morning, as your people, Lord, we want to pray and say, Lord, we want to do that now. In the way that we think, in the way that we are motivated, in the way that we use our bodies, for you, 
Oh, Lord, you know that we are weak, but, Lord, you're willing to work with that. You're able to, Lord. You know, we stumble. We, we, we are not perfect. Lord, I'm so grateful this morning we're under a shepherd who is, that is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, we have every reason for encouragement this morning, even in our weakness. But Lord, as we hold this bread and this cup this morning, we say to you, we hold into you. We believe, Lord. You said that this has a prophetic proclamation. This bread and this cup is one day going to be eaten anew when you come again and ushered in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Lord, we look forward to that day today. Lord, help us live like it, we pray. Come again to us, Lord, in the in the joy of our salvation and make us a people gripped where this is all going. We're so thankful for these moments, Lord. We're so grateful for the way you help and reach us over and over again. We pray with this word, go deep into our hearts, Lord. Transform us by the renewing of our minds. Might this day, like Paul, this day when we're going to stand before you, Jesus, be like the one where we're craning our heads, looking to it, looking to it, it's coming. What a joy. What glory. Help us live for it, we pray. Let's eat and drink together. We bless you for this time, Lord. Thank you for the way that you have graciously spoken to us from start to finish. I pray, Lord, that these words wouldn't leave us as we go from here in your precious name. Amen. If anybody wants to stay behind and just have prayer to stand with you, you're welcome to do so. If you want to come and chat, we have people that would love to do so, but we will see you next week. Thank you for being here.